0: You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. So when I was a teenager, my dad, who loves sailing, bought a sailboat. And we have a picture here, not of me, just to be clear, but that's the kind of sailboat that we had when I was a teenager. It's called the Laser. They use it in the Olympics, one-man racing boat. So one of the most fun things that I've ever done is to sail. And I love doing it when we were a little older. When I was a little older teen, my parents rented, we lived in Vancouver, rented a 38-foot sailboat for five years in a row for summer vacation. That is the way to do summer vacation. I'm just going to tell you, okay? And if you do it, you can invite me along. I'll gladly help. So, one year for summer vacation, we lived in Montreal. We went down to Vermont and we camped on the side of Lake Champlain. Lake Champlain, wonderful lake to sail in, not too wide, but super long. One day, it was very, very sunny, and it was very, very windy, and it was a perfect day to go get out on the boat. So, I got up, had a little breakfast, got myself down there, and what you normally do when you're sailing is you go upwind first, and you kind of make your way up into the wind, and then the general rule is, then it's the easy ride back home. Well, I went out, and I was gone for two, three hours, I think, and no real sense of time, but got to the point where I was tired, and so I decided that I was gonna take a little rest. This particular sailboat is actually almost impossible to sink, because there's 15 little airbags inside the hull of the boat. So one of the things that they used to advertise is half the fun of this kind of boat is that you can turtle it, meaning you can turn it upside down so the sail is in the water. And so I was young, I was nimble, I was able to do that. I'd done it plenty of times, scampered around, didn't even get wet. Sitting there for a little bit, then decided, you know what, I'm just going to lay down a little bit, and I fell asleep. And sometime later, I still could not tell you how long I was asleep. I woke up, and my first thought was, uh-oh, I have no idea where I am. I have no idea how long I've been asleep. But I knew enough that the campsite was on that side of the lake. So I figured I'll just go over there, I'll find somebody, I'm going to ask, which way do I go to get to the campsite? As it turns out, I got really, really lucky. I sailed right into the campsite. I was, I was happy. (laughs) It was funny because my parents were standing on the beach watching me come in and there was people at the campsite that were concerned that there was this person out on a boat that looked like it had capsized, laying down Thought there were some problems. Well, my parents were like, No, that's our son. He's a little crazy. So they didn't know I was asleep. So I did, righted the boat again without getting wet. I was really skilled. Sailed back into shore and had some lunch because it was about two o'clock in the afternoon. So I'd been gone for quite a while sailing is a great analogy for our spiritual life. Our series, we're talking about the wind and the fire of the Spirit, and I'm going to focus, obviously, with sailing more on the wind than the fire. Sailing is a lot about aerodynamics. To understand how sailing works, you've got to understand a little bit of of aerodynamics. So, I've got a picture here that I found to simplify this, to help you understand the principles and physics of sailing. You get it now, right? Totally makes sense? Yeah, me neither. Aerodynamics. I've got another image that might help. This one shows something up on the sail here, circled. It's a telltale. A telltale is something that sailors will put on the sails, okay, the smaller boats, the big boats, they got computers and you know all that technology. But on the smaller boats, they'll put these telltales so that they can see how the wind is moving across the sail. The telltales are on both sides of the sail because... You can only really see one side of the sail when you're sailing. It's kind of normal thinking, right? You can only see what you can see. You can't see the back side. Now, the telltale that's on the back side of the sail is sometimes called the shadow side of the sail. And that side, you can actually, when you're sailing, you can see the shadow of that flopping. Now, you want to adjust your sail so that those telltales, those pieces of yarn, are actually nice and straight and smooth and not moving around at all. Once you get to a point where one of them, backside or front side, is flopping around, you know you need to adjust your sail. This morning I want to talk to you about a telltale in our life, in our spiritual journey. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Craig talked about, he mentioned very quickly seven, and I was tempted to get a video clip of him listing those off, but we won't do that. I'm not even going to go over them, but I would encourage you to go back, watch it. He did a great job, covered a bunch of them. I'm glad that he didn't mention number eight, because that's what I want to talk about today. I started to hold my breath on that Sunday, because he was going down a track that I was going, going to go down. Physics. Applies to sailing. There's another image I have here of uh, low pressure, high pressure. Now, this is a wing of an airplane, but the principle is the same, okay? Just putting that out there. This high pressure, the red side of the wing or the sail, is the side that the wind is blowing on. The back side of the sail, low pressure develops, okay? So there's high pressure that happens when the wind is pushing on the sail. And on the back side of the sail, there's a little bit of low pressure. And we all know that low pressure sucks. Thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) Okay? Low pressure, what's actually being created there is a little bit of a vacuum. And so what happens then is you have the wind pushing on the sail, but you have this vacuum on the shadow side of the sail that's pulling the boat along as well. And it takes both of those things to move a sailboat forward. If you have just on the windward side, just the wind pushing, the boat moves, but it's not nearly as efficient. And there's other complications that come in at that point. So today, I want to talk to you about this telltale that I want to call biblical community. John Ortberg said, the spiritual disciplines are not chores. Okay, so spiritual disciplines, habits, practices, they're not chores. They're conduits of grace, sails to catch the wind of the Spirit. I mentioned that telltales are attached to both sides of the sail. And that's because when you're sailing, you want the simultaneous feedback. You want the feedback from both sides at the same time so that you can make the right adjustments. The wind on the leeward side creates that pulling. The wind on the front side creates the pushing. This idea of biblical community, it's not new. In fact, I would propose it goes back to before the beginning of time. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, is the ultimate image of community. They are so close, they are one, okay, they are one, they are the ultimate expression of community. And when Jesus, or when God created earth, earth, water, plants, animals, all of these things he said what? This is good. And then he made man, and what did he say? This is not good. Now, I want to be clear. It's not because he made a male, okay? Thank you again, appreciate it. Yuri, come sit up front here. God made humans in his image, and part of his image is community. And he recognized that creating a man, creating Adam, allowed for the vertical relationship of community. But there was a deeper need, another need that needed to be met, a horizontal need for community. Adam and Eve, they sin, the fall, What happens? They broke community. Community with God, but also when you read that, you'll see community with each other. There was a fracture that took place. And one of the main uh, plot lines through the Bible is this restoration of true community. A right relationship with God, but also a right relationship with each other. Dallas Willard writes these words, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons, with himself included as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. This past week, uh, we've been going through our restart class, our, our class for new believers. And two Wednesdays ago, it would have been We talked about understanding the Bible, and we started just a one-week Bible reading plan where we had a little passage to read every day, trying to teach that spiritual practice of reading our Bible. One of the passages was Jesus' prayer in John 17. Let me read a couple of the verses, starting at verse 20. I'm not praying only for them, meaning his disciples that he had at the time, his followers, that he had at the time, but also for those who will believe in me, that's us, who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. When we live in biblical community, it's more than attending church services once a week. It's more than going to the occasional class or going to a study. It's more than going to a small group. Small, our biblical community involves the interaction in our lives. It involves including people in our life. It involves being included in others. It involves vulnerability. In his letter to the Roman church, Paul wrote and paints a picture of biblical community. These believers, they were living in the center of the then known world, Rome. The city had many subcultures. The the city had many different ideologies. Lots of philosophies of life had all been compressed into this one city many of these ideologies and subcultures were actually in opposition to the Judeo-Christian ethic, as we would call it now. And when Paul wrote his letter to the Roman church, most of that church was probably Gentile, with a healthy contingent of Jewish Christians, but the majority were probably Gentiles. And he writes to encourage this body of believers on how to be a biblical community. He talks to them, he challenges them, he corrects them, but he paints this picture of biblical community because clearly they were struggling with it. We're gonna look at Romans 14 and touch into Romans 15 if you wanna get your Bibles out, your phones out, get the app fired up. Uh, We're going to just kind of pick a couple of verses, too many, too long a passage to actually read through today. With the diversity of community, of the community of believers, remember they came from different cultures. So there was some discrepancies that existed. There were some challenges that they would have had. Paul takes the topic of dietary rules. Now, many of us would be familiar that the Jewish culture very strong on dietary rules, they had all their, you know, don't do this, don't do that, Um, don't eat bacon. But many other cultures would do that as well. Many other cultures would have their dietary rules, and they didn't always line up with each other, right? So when these different cultures got together in this community of faith, they came in with some different opinions, came in with some different convictions. So let's read, starting at verse 3, a couple of the verses. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. So, Ball takes this dietary rules, these boundary markers, if you will, of what should and shouldn't be done, and he uses them as an example of how the biblical community should actually work. And the first thing we see here is that God values people. And in biblical community, we need to value people. We need to remember that when somebody has a different opinion, a different conviction, God values them just as much as he values us. Now, I want to be clear. We're not talking about issues of sin. We're not talking about things that the Bible very clearly says, this is wrong, Don't do it. We're talking about the areas that Paul calls disputable matters. We're talking about the gray areas, the things where the Bible is silent. And we need to remember this guiding principle, that people are valuable. Throughout this passage, Paul will continue to go back to the diet arguments, the diet illustration So let us remember, let's translate that, because it's not something that we have in our culture. Pick an idea in your head. Pick something that maybe, I don't know, in the last three years has caused some tensions, has caused different convictions, has caused different opinions, and maybe apply that instead of dietary rules. Was that subtle enough? We need to remember that our attitude towards others others, is more important than our convictions. Our attitude towards other people must be that they are valuable and valued by God just as much as we are, and we need to approach them that way. It's never acceptable to sacrifice a relationship over a conviction. Over the last few years, I can only imagine God the Father sitting in heaven, turning to his son and going, they've got some work to do. I can just imagine it. We haven't done a great job. Let's kind of be honest about that. We need to remember that people are valuable and we cannot sacrifice relationships over our positions or our practices or our preferences. Again, we're not talking about issues of sin, okay, I want to say that again. But in all these areas where the Bible is silent, we need to remember to value people. Second marker of biblical community that Paul talks about has to do with our liberties. Romans 14, 15 says, If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Now, Paul is dealing specifically with the eating of meat, and not just any meat, but meat that had the potential to have been sacrificed at the pagan temples. There was rules about that for some of the people, and for other people, there weren't any rules. And so when the Christians gathered, they started squabbling about it. And Paul is saying, guys... Let's back off a little bit. Paul teaches us that out of love we need to sacrifice our liberties. So as to not to offend the one that is weaker. Now, that word weaker. Sometimes we think well, that person's weaker, they're wrong. Sometimes we think, well, that person's weaker, they're less mature than I am. If they just had attained the level of spirituality that I am at, they would know that it's not a big deal. As I've looked at this passage over the years, it occurs to me that that's not what Paul means. Paul doesn't mean the person who is less mature is offended. It simply means that the person who's arrived at a different conclusion. That's really what he's saying. What he's really doing is he's calling out the arrogance of the person who's judging. What we need to do is limit our liberties. We need to take a step back and out of love, just say, you know what? We have different conclusions on this. I love you anyways. Paul in Corinthians, he wrote about the incredible freedom, the liberty that we have as Christ followers. In Romans, he balances that by saying, out of love, you'll limit your liberty. Out of love, you will put the other person first. So, we limit our, li- our liberties. Thirdly, biblical community allows for disagreement. Verse 22 says, cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. I love that phrase, sort of. If your behavior and your belief are coherent, do they line up? Worry about your own stuff. Have you ever noticed that when God is teaching you a lesson, you become hyper-aware of it? God's trying to correct you in something, so you become a little bit aware of it, and you, will assume, try to make the right corrections. Have you ever noticed that you start seeing that same issue in everybody else's life? my wife wrote in here, in your spouse's life. We do that. We become aware of that. I've come to the conclusion that God has something unique for each and every one of us. So in the educational world, there's something that's called the individualized education plan. It's usually put in place when A child needs some extra help and guidance to really keep moving forward. God does that for us. So Charles and I have the same five issues. I'm going to pick on you because I can. He's wearing Pittsburgh. So Charles and I have the same five issues that God wants to deal with in our life. I figured out that God's going to deal with them in a different order. And the problem is, when God's dealing with me in my life about something, and I see Charles dealing, you know, have the same issue, but not dealing with it, I want to help him. The problem is, God's got another plan for Charles. God's got a plan that says, deal with this issue first. You see, God doesn't deal with us as a group all the time. God deals with us as individuals. And so when we're in that time where we are changing and we are modifying our behavior and we're learning to adopt new ideas and patterns and beliefs and behaviors, there's going to be times where we're going to disagree with other people. And that's okay. Because we're not going to be perfected until we're in heaven until that point we're all on this journey and we're all learning we need to allow for the differences to take place in our life fourthly biblical community is about nurturing one another Uh, verse 2 of chapter 15 says each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us Asking ourselves, how can I help? Paul's raised this principle in his letter to the Philippians. It says, look out for the needs of others, not just your own. Biblical community isn't just about socializing and having Christian friends, biblical community is about helping each other grow, nurturing those relationships so that we can build a bridge of connection and then help each other grow. I want to give you a new word. It's a made-up word, it's not in the dictionary, it should be in the dictionary, it should be in your vocabulary. And that word is care-fronting. We're probably familiar with confronting but I want you to think of it as care-fronting. To be able to take in a relationship that is developed over time where you have invested time and energy, where you have built into that relationship the ability to tell truth. You see, oftentimes confronting comes across harsh. Oftentimes, Confronting is something that, well, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. I'm going to hold you to account. Carefronting is such a completely different approach. We care enough that we're going to speak because we don't want to be permissive in some things. But we're going to speak into somebody's life through love. And that makes all the difference. I mean, we've all had somebody come up to us and try and correct us, right? And it doesn't always land well. We don't always receive it. But when somebody comes to us and we've got a relationship with them and we have built that connection with them, there's a much higher chance. It might sting. Our first reaction might be the reaction of a three-year-old that goes, no. But because of that relationship, we will respond well over time. As we focus on the destination of our Christian journey, which is to become like Christ, when we focus on that, and we're nurturing relationships in biblical community, we're gonna be able to grow much faster. When we first start out that journey of faith, There's that initial stage where we just absorb everything. We're learning everything. We've got people helping us, people pouring into our life. And then there comes a point where we need to start giving to other people. We need to pour into other people. We make the mistake, I think, sometimes, oftentimes, of thinking that needs to come later down the road. Like maybe when I've been a Christian for 10 years. Maybe when I've got a degree... I'm gonna suggest to you that all it takes to lead somebody else, to help somebody else, being one step in front of them. It's all it takes. So early on in your faith, you need to be able to start pouring into others. And I wanna ask you, do you have somebody that you're pouring your life into? Do you have a group of people that you're developing that kind of relationship with? And then finally, the last principle that Paul writes about, is talking about acceptance. Romans chapter seven, 15, verse 7 says, so reach out and welcome one another to God's glory. Jesus did it, now you do it. How did Jesus accept his disciples? When I read through the Gospels, I am trying to change my perspective. It's much harder than I thought it would be, but my initial perspective for the last 40, 50 years has been adventures in missing the point. The disciples so often just didn't get it. Like, and I'm not even thinking of the parables. Like, they didn't really understand what the Messiah was until he ascended, until he was gone. They brought all their preconceived ideas. They brought all their history to the table and didn't get it. And Jesus accepted them fully. He didn't judge them. He corrected them. But he guided them. Even with their shortcomings and failures, he accepted them. How does Jesus accept us? The same way. He accepts us unconditionally. He accepts us just as we are. He accepts us without judgment. And that's the type of acceptance that we're to have with one another. We're supposed to accept one another unconditionally. We're supposed to accept one another just as they are. We're supposed to accept one another without judgment. We're supposed to extend grace when there's shortcomings. We're supposed to provide mercy rather than judgment. Let me go back to the first verse of chapter 14. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. True biblical community accepts one another, faults and all. Have you ever heard that saying that God loves you just the way you are but loves you too much to leave you that way? The intent and the the thought in our Christian journey should be to grow and become like Christ. So he wants to help us do that. He provides the wind of the Spirit to help us change. And when we have biblical community in our life, it makes it so much easier. Christianity is a team sport. Christianity isn't something that's done alone. It's something where we need people around us And those people around us act like telltales on our sail so that we can adjust to the wind of the Spirit. Oftentimes in our Christian faith, when we think about the wind of the Spirit and being directed by the wind of the Spirit, we have this mentality that it's meant to push us downwind. That's our desire, that's easy, that's relaxing. And if we're not careful, we can be lulled into falling asleep. And then we wake up and we don't know where we are. I would suggest to you that the wind of the Spirit isn't about giving us direction so much as it is about giving us power to go through life. I would suggest to you that the wind of the Spirit, as we adjust our sails to the wind, it helps us get through situations and circumstances. It helps us get through the storms. And it helps us get to the destination that God has in mind for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for creating us with this need for community. God, we're made in your image. God, we know that that was broken. That sense of community with you and with those around us was broken. God, thank you that you provide your spirit to help restore those things. God, I pray that as we go through our week, this week, God, we would sense the direction that your Spirit's wind is blowing. That we would have people in our life to help us to adjust our sails so that we can become the person, the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. <laughs>